able to offer. Lord, I pray over anyone in this room right now that may be feeling that tug, Lord, that they will go and talk after the service. Lord, that you will continue to bless the Women's Center um, and the many people that they serve. Lord, we pray over Alan right now, um, that you will give him the strength to bring your word this morning as we continue to learn about Jonah. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are the same God today that you were when Jonah, um, in the story of Jonah. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you're at work, the ones we see and the ones that we can't. And it's in your son's name we pray this morning. Amen. Jonah, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, it 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a past and put on sackcloth and from the greatest of them to the least of them. Amen. Well, we praise God for the reading of his word. How we doing, church? Doing good? Ready to rock and roll? Happy, happy, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. And if you are a fellow cowboy like myself, happy Sunday, right? I mean, that's just what it is. We, no matter how good we may seem, we never seem to make it to the big game. But don't worry, I'm not bitter, okay? I'm not bitter. Just enjoy your nachos and enjoy the game this afternoon. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Open with me. We are, as Chelsea said, in the book of Jonah. You've had three weeks to find it, and so hopefully you've been able to locate that book. He's a minor prophet, so he's in the back half of the Old Testament. If you still can't find it, no problem. Go to the table of contents. Find the name Jonah. Hey, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is when we experience new birth here at FCC, not only life change, but truly new birth of seeing a child be born into the world. I love to share that with you guys. And so this past week, we've actually had two individuals that have birthed their ch children into the world. And so we're excited for them. The first is Sean and Kirsten Heath. You may know little Reagan as well. And so they gave birth to Madison Grace Heath this past, I think that's Tuesday, uh, February the 6th, uh, 2024. And so we're excited for them. Uh, Sean was a real champion. Sean was at first service today with Reagan. And so props to him. Apparently things are going well. And so, uh, but be praying for them as they're adjusting from going from a family of three to a family of four. And also, I don't normally do this, but we're missing one of our staff members today. Linda Hall is actually in Rich, I believe it's Richmond right now, with her family. Uh, she has, act, not her, but her daughter has actually given birth, check this, to her 28th grandchild. 28th grandchild, little Madeline Jean Basic, a.k.a. Maddie, was born last night. And so I got the message, all of a sudden, the text from Linda, I'm off to Richmond. I'm not going to be there tomorrow. And so be praying for them. 28 grandchildren. I told first service, Ryan, I don't know if he's in here this service to defend himself. But I said, he and Angela got to get busy so they can make it to 30. You know what I'm saying? And so praying for them to make it to 30 grandchildren. But nonetheless, be praying for both of these families as uh, they are adjusting to life with an additional human being living in their household. Now, as I said, we're in week three of our sermon series, four weeks through the book of Jonah. And so if you missed either one of the past two weeks, let me do this. Let me catch you up to speed really, really quickly. In week one, what we saw is that the word of the Lord, this text said, came to Jonah. And it said, arise 
and go to the great city of Nineveh. However, what we also found is that Jonah arose and he went in the opposite direction. Instead of going 500 miles by land to Nineveh, he went 2,500 plus miles by sea to the place of Tarshish in order to flee from the presence of the Lord. And because of this, we saw in chapter 1, verse 4, that the Lord actually took a storm and he hurled it at Jonah and he hurled it at the sailors who were on that ship. And the sailors realized that this was Jonah's fault. They absolutely realized it was Jonah's fault because he told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah comes to them and essentially says, hey, I'll be the sacrifice. If you guys will pick me up and throw me overboard, throw me into the sea, everything will ultimately become calm for you all. And so sure enough, that's what they do. They pick up Jonah, they hurl him into the sea, and we see at the end of chapter 1 that God appoints a fish to go eat Jonah. And sure enough, the, the fish went and ate Jonah. So that was week one. Last week, what we saw in week two was we saw how Jonah actually spoke to the Lord in utter desperation. While he was in the belly of the fish, Jonah spoke to the Lord, and we talked about God's call on our life. We talked about how no matter how far you may think that you've gone, no matter how hard you've tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, we said it's never too late and you are never too far gone to call upon the name of the Lord. And so sure enough, like I said, in utter desperation, Jonah cried out to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 2, that same fish went to the shores of Nineveh and puked him out right there on the shore. And so that brings us this morning to chapter 3. And so let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us today. We're going to pick things up in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says this. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And so right after Jonah gets puked up on that dry land, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. My friends, God is so patient with us, isn't he? I mean, we serve a God that is so merciful to us. And aren't you glad that we serve the kind of God that never, ever, ever gives up on us, but instead he shares his word with us over and over and over again. Anybody praise God about that this morning? Praise God for that this morning. And so it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and God says, arise and go. Go to that great city of Nineveh. Now, if you remember back to week one, we talked about the Ninevites. And one of the things that we said is that this was not just a normal group of lost people. This wasn't just a group of people who were indifferent about religion. But instead, this was a ruthless or a wicked or a genocidal group of people. For instance, this was the kind of group of people when they would conquer other countries, they wouldn't just go in and slaughter them all, but instead they would actually chop off body parts, and in some instances they would leave the people half alive. Like this was the kind of people that would stretch out men and women, and they would peel the skin off their body and make a tapestry of skin and lay it over the walls as intimidation for other countries who may want to attack. Like this was the kind of group that would gather the babies and the children of their captives and then they would burn them alive while watch, making the parents watch their children die. This was not the average group of people, ladies and gentlemen. This was a ruthless and a wicked group. And yet, and yet, this is the group that God is calling Jonah to go to. And it got me thinking this week, like why in the world would God send Jonah to a people like this? 
Like, why in the world would he want to save a group of people like the Ninevites? And here's what I determined. You can write it down. It's because God, he deserves to be worshipped by every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That God's love reaches out to every single person, no matter how good or no matter how bad we may think that they are. Every single person on the planet, they owe God his or her own worship. Amen? And so God says to Jonah, he says, arise, and he says, go, go to that great city, and I want you, Jonah, to call out against it the message that I am going to give you to deliver. So Jonah arose, and he goes to Nineveh, and underline this phrase, according to the word of the Lord. He goes according to the word of the Lord. Point number one this morning, if you're taking notes, is this, we've got to go and we've got to do what God tells us to do we got to go and do what God tells us to do. Church, obedience is not about doing what you feel like doing. You see? It's not about doing what you... Instead, what the Word of God says, oftentimes that doesn't line up with what we feel like doing. But nonetheless, obedience is not about doing what we feel like doing. Now, I said this last week. But for every single one of us, our lives are headed in one of two directions. Either A, we're walking according to the word of the Lord, or we're walking according to the will of me. And in order to change that direction, if I'm walking according to the the will of me, in order to change that direction, turning from my will to God's will, whether it's for salvation for the very first time or whether it's about the way you do money or the way you do relationships or the way that you do entertainment or whatever it is, to change that direction from my will to God's will, that has a biblical term. It's called repentance. Repentance. And repentance is really a theme that you're going to see all throughout this great book of Jonah. In fact, let me review for just a minute. You remember back in week one. Think back to what we talked about in week one. Week one, I came in here, and remember when I yelled at you guys for like 30 minutes about God's call in your life? That God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but instead he got in a boat and headed in the opposite direction, headed to Tarshish. And then we talked about how when God calls you to go somewhere, there's always, there's always seems to be a boat that's ready to take us in the opposite direction. And then I talked about how God has a specific calling on every single one of our lives, whether it's sharing the gospel with a friend, whether it's seeking reconciliation with a family member, whether it's just honoring God with our finances or whatever it is. And then, do you remember in week one, think back in your mind, in week one, when all of a sudden the Lord, the Spirit of God began to stir in your heart. Remember that? You remember being all ready and excited. You said, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to follow God's will. I'm going to do that thing that God called me to do. Well, here's... Here's where we are now. We are in week three of our Jonah series, and the question I have for you is, are you doing that thing that God told you to do way back in week one? Church, let me ask you this. Have you done anything to take an obedient step forward in the direction that God is calling you to go? Southwest, listen to me very carefully. Maybe, just maybe, we're acting a little bit like Jonah. Maybe, just maybe, that thing that God called you to do in week one, now God is right back in here again because his Holy Spirit is speaking, and he's coming to you a second time, and he's looking you dead in the eye this morning and saying, arise and go. My friends, we've got to do the thing that God has called us to do. Don't hesitate. We can't procrastinate. We can't get scared. We can't get afraid. We just got to be like Nike. We got to just do it. 
right? We've got to follow in the ways of the Lord. Verse 3. It says, now Nineveh. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. And here's Jonah's sermon, if you will, right here. Here's Jonah's sermon. It says this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them all the way down to the least of them. Point number two this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. We've got to speak the message of God. When he gives us a word, when he gives us a command, we've got to go speak. Not only do it, but we've got to speak it. And here's what's crazy, right? In the Hebrew language, this blew me away this week. In the Hebrew language, these verses right here, his sermon is five words. That's it. His sermon is five words in length. And so Jonah walks in, he drops five words. He says, either turn or burn Nineveh, does a mic drop, and the entire nation comes to saving faith. Do you know, I thought about this week, do you know how much we could accomplish as a church if I could come in here and say a five-word sermon and you people would listen? Like, it would be awesome. Don't get any ideas, all right? It ain't going to happen, all right? But, I mean, it's crazy. Like, think about it. Jonah comes in, and he literally says, he drops a hammer and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the whole nation believes. Everyone. Glory to God. Amen? Praise God. Everybody in that moment believes. And it got me thinking this week, like, Here's what I was reminded of. I was reminded that the Word of God, write this down, the Word of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, is the only thing that can change a life. You understand that? The Word of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, is the only thing that can change a life. I've told you this before, but here at Southwest, there really only is one preacher, and his name is the Holy Spirit. You should pay attention to him. He's here every week. He does a fabulous job. Like, listen, my words can't change anything. I can't change your heart. I can't convince you to do anything. Listen, I can't even convince the three other people who share a residence with me to do what I want them to do. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I can't talk my wife and my kids to do what I'm saying. How in the world can I convince you all, who some of you don't even know me well, to, to change your eternal status? I can't do any of that. But follow me here. It's the Word of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, that has the ability to change your heart. And you see, this is why, I don't know if you realize this, but this is why when I preach, I try not to complicate things. Like, if you ever notice how I preach, I get up here every single Sunday, and I literally just walk us verse by verse by verse through the text and try to teach it in a way that's very easy to understand. Why? Because I realize, once again, it's the Word of God powered by the Spirit that's going to change your life. And this is why, have you ever, like, been sitting in a service and all of a sudden, you'll just feel like the pastor is talking right to you. Anybody ever been there before? I know you've been there before because you came out and tell me afterwards, like, hey, I felt like that message was just for me today. And you know why that was happening? It's because the real preacher, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to your soul, church. Like, there's a real thing happening in here right now. The Spirit is alive, and it's moving, and it's working in your hearts. And by the way, there are multiple responsibilities when it comes to the sermon. Did you know this? Like, I have a part for sure, and I pay, take my part very seriously. If you are here last week, I told you that normally I spend more time on this very thing that I'm doing right now than anything else throughout the week, 15 to 20 hours every week to prepare to do the thing that I'm doing right now. I take it very seriously. But I need you to understand, this is a two-way street. Like, you have a very significant responsibility when it comes to this sermon. 
You see, it's not just the scattering of the seeds. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm just scattering seeds. It's not just the scattering of the seeds that matters, but it's also, watch this, it's the condition of the soil on which it lands that matters too. And so the question that you've got to ask yourself internally is this, are you doing your part every single Sunday to show up here with a tilled up heart that's with good soil that's ready to receive what God has for you? Back to Jonah, verse 5. Here's what it says. It says that the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them all the way down to the least of them. Then the word of the Lord, it reaches the king, the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in ashes. Point number three this morning is this. We just got to watch God work. And so we do what God says. We proclaim the message. We speak the message, and then we watch God work. Go to work. Southwest, the joy of being obedient to God is that you get to watch God work through your obedience. Do you know that? Like when we listen and follow what he tells us to do, he gives us what we need, and then we get to watch him go to work. Now understand, in this text, sackcloth and ashes, what is it talking about there? This was a picture of Old Testament repentance, okay? Sackcloth and ashes is an Old Testament picture of repentance. It's kind of like the New Testament version of baptism. Like, why do we baptize people? Well, you get baptized because it's an outward symbol of an inward working grace, an inward commitment that you've made. And so when the text is talking about the king putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes, what he's doing is he's symbolizing repentance. And so essentially what's happening in our story is God has done a work. God has has done a thing in the heart of the king, and now he's going to repent, and he's going to dress himself in these clothes. He's going to sit in ashes because he's showing the world that, hey, I'm turning away from my evil ways, and now I'm turning to God. I'm repenting, you see. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a 180-degree turn away from my ways, my thoughts, my desires, and it's redirecting myself so that I'm focused on on the Lord. Write this down. Great definition of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change in action. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change in action. And not only that, here it is, but daily repentance. When you think about every single day when we wake up, sure there's one-time repentance when you come to saving faith, but there's also a daily repentance. And daily repentance is understanding that from the moment of salvation, that first time where you believed in Jesus, as you grow deeper and deeper and deeper in your relationship with Jesus, you begin to have a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of your own depravity and your own sinfulness. For instance, when I first came to salvation, I've told this story many times, I was in the sixth grade at a fall retreat and I was a hot mess. I was crying my eyes out. This is what I do when I get emotional, all right? I just cry. And so I came to Jesus, but at that moment, I'll be honest with you, I thought as a sixth grader, I was still a pretty good guy. I really did. I thought I was a pretty good guy. But one of the things that I've realized now that I've been walking with the Lord for over 20 years is I don't just struggle with sin. You understand? The reality of it is I'm a sinner. Like one of the things that I've realized is my heart, the heart of my problem is actually my heart. I feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he says this, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody ever been there before? Amen, right? For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. You guys experienced that before? Just me, all right? All right, hold on. Don't leave me up here. I'm not the only sinner in the room. You guys are a bunch of liars, right? I got one over here. We're all there. 
We all do these things all the time. We don't want to do them. And yet, how many times have you promised yourself, I'm never going to do that again. And then three weeks later, there you go. You're doing the same thing again. We're just like Paul. Listen, the longer I've been a Christian, here's what I've come to realize. That I am much more depraved than I ever could have imagined. And simultaneously, the cross of Jesus Christ and his perfection seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. It reminds me of this image I read in a book many years ago. It's called the cross chart. Check it out. If you've got space in your journal, draw this thing out. It's a wonderful idea. Here's the reality. We're walking through life on this timeline. And then all of a sudden, we get to the point of the triangle, and what we see is that we, the, the scales of our eyes are peeled back, and we come to believe in Jesus Christ for the very first time. And at, at first, you, you understand it, but you don't understand it at the depth that you will one day. And so what happens is, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and you learn more about who you are and who he is, what you begin to find is that you're growing in your awareness of your sinfulness. Like you just realize how wicked and depraved of a person you are, but simultaneously what's happening is you're growing in your awareness of how beautiful the Lord is and how good he is and how forgiving he is and how holy he is. Bottom line, here it is. We're far worse, church, far worse sinners than we ever imagined. And yet, at the same time, we're much more deeply loved than we could ever, ever understand. It's a beautiful picture. And so what repentance is, is it's a daily recognition that I need to die to myself. It's a recognition that I need to to die to my own personal desires, to turn away from my sinful desires, and to pick up my cross and follow after Jesus. And sure enough, in our story, that's exactly what the Ninevites choose to do. They decide to turn away from themselves And turn toward God. Verse 7. And the king issued a proclamation. And he published it all throughout Nineveh. And it said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Essentially, he's calling the entire nation to a fast. And if you're not sure what fasting is, fasting, we did it all throughout harvest season. Harv- or excuse me, fasting is simply telling the flesh no so that you can make more room to tell Jesus yes. You see, fasting, it's depraving, or depriving yourself of physical needs so that when your body wakes up and says, I'm really hungry, I need something to eat, you can remind yourself of the greater spiritual needs that you have and what we really need is more of Jesus. You see, that's what fasting is all about. It goes on to say this in verse 8. It says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Once again, this is the picture of repentance. They're repenting right here. And let them call out mightily to God. Let them turn, there's that word, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Again, this is what repentance is. Understand, you can't turn from something unless you're turning to something else. And so essentially what's happening in the Ninevites' hearts right now is they're turning from their old wicked ways and they're turning to trust in the one true God. Now, as we come to verse 9, I read it this week and I got really excited. I like got all geeky excited. Okay, that's what happened. Because verse 9 is very, 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 very important. Okay, so I need you to underline verse 9, at least the first two words of verse 9. I'll show you why. It says this. It says, and who knows, who knows God may turn 
And God may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, as I said, when I read this verse, in my mind, when the king of Nineveh says, who knows, I wanted to shout in my office, but I was afraid that I was going to scare Linda. Okay, that's just how that went down. Okay, and so I paused, and I didn't scream, but in in my heart, it was crying out, I know. Like, I know. I know the answer to this question. You see, if we confess our sin, here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sin, if we repent, and if we cry out, that's what the verse is saying. If we cry out to a mighty God, the one true God, then here's what we know. We know, don't we, that we will be saved. We know it. Like, think about it. If we could go back in time to this very moment where the king of Nineveh asked the question, who knows, I could look back at him and say, I know. I know. And the reason I know is because this king is still living in the old covenant. And what people in the old covenant had to do was they had to hope for by faith that God would one day, one day send us a savior. But you see, here's the advantage for us. Because we live as a post-resurrection Christian, and that means we are on this side, ladies and gentlemen, of the empty tomb. Which means what this particular king is looking forward to in hope, you and I are looking back on in history. Listen, what the king of Nineveh was hoping for by faith, we know by name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? We know him by name. I know. We know with 100% certainty that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that we will be saved. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like we know. Church, write this down. Here's what I need you to know. I need you to know that Jesus, he is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah. You see, God, he looked at Jonah and he said, Jonah, arise and go. And Jonah went in the wrong direction. And yet, God so loved this world that he told his only begotten son, arise and go. And Jesus gladly said, not my will, but yours be done. Like just as Jonah was thrown off the boat into the stormy sea to calm God's anger, Jesus was thrown onto an empty cross to endure the full wrath of God on our behalf. And just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, guess what? Jesus went into the belly of the earth for three days. And just like Jonah was then puked up on the dry ground of Nineveh, Jesus rolled the stone away and he walked out in victory over sin, death, and the grave. And so king of Nineveh, guess what? We know, don't we? I mean, we know. John would say it this way, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you, all these things I've written in this letter, I write these things to you so that you may, what church? Know that you have eternal life. Southwest, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know for certain that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I'm not asking if you feel pretty good about it this morning. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking if one day you're hoping that you're going to get in the presence of the God and the scales are going to work out in your favor and he's going to let you in. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Verse 10, and when God saw what they did, how they were turning away from their evil ways, it says God relented. Notice it doesn't say repented. It says relented. Underline that word. It's important. God relented of the disaster. That he had said he would do, and he did not do it. Now, this word relent, it doesn't mean like to change your mind. 
It doesn't mean change direction like repentance. God's not repenting here. God's relenting here. And so the question is, what does he mean? What does it mean that God relented in this verse? Well, here's what it means. It means that in this moment, God was essentially overcome with compassion. You see? That he was full of empathy in this moment. You see, God understood that the Ninevites were heading in a particular direction, and it was a direction towards destruction. But what happens is, by faith, they change direction. And they begin to trust in God. And by doing so, their eternal trajectory became totally different. And so God here, he's going to relent of his anger. Do you know why? It's because of something we find out in the New Covenant. You see, in the New Testament, we find out this, that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made the righteousness of God. Most famous verse in probably the whole Bible is John 3.16. You probably have it memorized. If you don't memorize it, it's like the whole Bible in one verse, okay? I'm going to preach it in about two weeks, and so make your way back. We're going to talk John 3, 1 through 18, and we're just going to walk through the gospel according to John chapter 3. And so just be jacked up for two weeks from now. Invite your friends. They need to hear it. But anyways, I want you to hear John three sixteen this morning. Here's what it says. It says, For God so loved the world <clears throat> that he gave his one and only or only begotten Son, <clears throat> that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But don't stop there because Jesus didn't stop there. Understand verse 17 continues. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. My friends, God did not bring you to church today to condemn you, right? God did not bring you to church today to tell you how bad of a person you are. You know why he brought you to church today? He brought you to church today to let you know that Jesus loves you and Jesus came on a rescue mission for you. That's why you're here. And then don't miss out on verse 18. People always read verse 16. They continue to verse 17, but don't miss 18 because there's a lot hanging in the balance in verse 18 too. It says this, and whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen, the reason we're not condemned is that if we believe in Jesus, if we put our faith and trust in him and believe that somehow when Jesus died on that cross, he pushed up on those nail-pierced feet and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. If we believe that, that that somehow counted for me, that means that Jesus paid the full price for your sin and therefore you are no longer condemned because Jesus already took that condemnation in your place. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, church, if you are here today and you are in Christ Jesus, then you are not condemned. You are not unfit for use. Now, if the Bible was written by a bunch of mere human beings like myself or all of you, then what we would have probably done is we would have gotten to verse 18 We would have read this part, and we probably would have put a period right there and moved on to the next section. We would have said, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen? Let's move on. Period. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Okay? So I need you to see the rest of verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but. Big but right there. Okay? It says, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see... What's happening in our story is that Jesus, in this story I should say, Jesus is talking to a religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. 
And what Nicodemus thought was, he thought, because I am so religious, because I do so many good things, because I know so much of the Bible, then one day God is going to actually owe me heaven. He's going to owe me salvation. But then Jesus walks in in these verses and he's like, nope, that ain't how this thing works. Instead, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that every single one of us is on one of two trajectories. You're either walking according to the word of the Lord or you're walking according to your own will. And whatever, watch this, whatever we decide to do on this earth, that's what God's going to give us in eternity. Whatever we decide on this earth is what God is going to give us in eternity, which means if you want to walk around and reject God in this life, then God will give you what you ask for in eternity. Eternity. And what that would be is a Christless eternity where we are ever dying but never dead in a real place called hell. That's the bad news. But the good news is the other side of this is much happier, right? And that's the gospel, right? The other way is to say, I don't want to try to do this life according to my own will. Instead, I want to do this thing called life according to God's will way you begin that process is through the thing we've talked about all morning. It's repentance. And once again, it's very simple. It's deciding to turn from my ways, my thoughts, my desires, and to trust in God as the only one who can provide salvation. It's to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, somehow that counted for me. And if that happens to you and you would believe that simple message, the Bible says you will saved. In other words, you get God. Here now, for all of eternity. And so my question as we wrap up this morning is very simple. Do you need to repent? And I know it's easy sometimes for believers in the room to hear that and to just kind of check out for a minute. Say, I've already repented. I'm a believer, but hang with me for a second because here's the deal. We talked about daily repentance today. And so some of you, you've come into this room today and there's been things in your life where you've been chasing after your will, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, instead of looking first and foremost at Jesus. And so today, Scripture's calling you, the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart, and He's saying, you need to repent. You need to turn back to me. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity as a believer to repent today. And at the same time, some of you, you have not trusted in the one true God ever before, and right now, He's standing at the door of your life, and you know what He's doing? knocking. And he says, if you'll hear my voice and if you'll open the door, I will come in. You know how you open the door? You repent. You say, Jesus, I want to stop following my ways and I want to start following your ways. And so wherever you are this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to turn back to God, to look to him and to trust him fully. Let's all bow our heads. Let's all bow our hearts as we pray this morning. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, that's me. That's me. I didn't know it, Pastor Allen. When I walked in, I thought I could earn salvation. I thought I could get my way to God. I thought I could hope that the balances one day would work out in my favor and I could get back at him. But today, I realize that for the very first time, Jesus came, Jesus loves me, and he came on a rescue mission for me. That he died on a cross for me. And in this moment, if you're ready to give your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to turn it all over to him, would you just simply cry out to your Father right now? Would you just say, Father, here I am. Father, save me. 
Save me from my sin. I repent. I want to turn to you. Here I am. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Just tell him that from your heart. And the Bible says if you will cry out to him in that way, you will experience salvation and you will become adopted into the family of God. Now, for the Christians in the room, let's keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed, but those of you who are following Jesus, maybe you've been following him for four weeks, maybe you've been following him for four decades, I want to speak to you for a moment. And understand, when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm not talking about your salvation right now. I know that you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the reality is there may be some of, your, some of you in the room that have particular areas of your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your entertain, the way you do entertainment. Maybe it's in regards to morality or forgiveness or reconciliation. And if you're honest, you'd say, man, I've been walking according to the will of me. You've been walking according to the ways of this world. You've been chasing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and you're not walking according to the will of the Lord. But today, for whatever reason, the Spirit of God is speaking into your soul right now, and you've recognized that you need to turn away from those worldly, fleshly desires, and you need to look back at Him. And I'm praying right now that you would run to the feet of Jesus, that you would bow your head at the cross and say, Father, here I am. I'm crying out to you. I'm repenting of those things. And I want to begin to walk according to the word of the Lord. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this time of Bible study. And I pray that as we continue and we close now with one last song, We'll continue to look to you. And if there's areas of your life that we need to repent of, Father, we would cry out right now and say, Father, here I am. I want to walk in your ways and not in my own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you as we wrap up this morning to stand to your feet. We're going to sing. And if there's a uh, situation in your life right now, maybe you're experiencing salvation for the very first time, or maybe you just have a particular prayer request and it's just been really heavy on your heart. As we stand and we sing one last song, we've got the Aldridge's over here. They would love to pray for you right now. Intercessory prayer is one of the most powerful things. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And if you feel like you need some extra prayer this morning, you can make your way over here.